Welcome to Victoria's Secrets to Health and Happiness podcast. I am Victoria, your host, and I help women to create food and body freedom so they can live a life fueled by confidence and self-love. I'm so grateful that you've chosen me to be in your ear today. In these podcast episodes, I'll be talking about food freedom, body confidence, and everything to do with self-love. So thank you for being here. Let's get started. Okay, welcome queens to another episode of Victoria's Secrets to Health and Happiness podcast. Today, I have a very special guest with me. Um, Her name is Sarah Menlove and she is a holistic health coach. She's extremely passionate about helping women heal their relationship with food and their body so they can become confident and comfortable in their body from a place of self-love without the need for deprivation or restrictions or diets. She specializes in helping women transition out of competitive sport and helps those recovering from hypothalamic. I knew I would get this wrong. I know, 10 times. <laughs> Loss of period. I'll let Sarah talk about that. To develop a healthy relationship with food and their bodies so they can live their best life. And Sarah is based in New Zealand, but she helps women all around the world. So without further ado, welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. That was beautiful. <laughs> so glad to be here. You're so welcome. How do before I ask you my quick questions to get to know you, how do you pronounce that um, word for the period? Hypothalamic amenorrhea. So hypothalamic coming from the hypothalamus in the brain and amenorrhea being yeah, loss of period. Ah, okay. Thank you. I'll go into that very shortly. So as my podcast listeners know when I have an amazing guest on I just fire random questions to begin with so are you ready Sarah yes (laughs) okay so your full name Sarah Ruth Minlove and where do you live I live in Mount Maunganui New Zealand which is in the North Island but I was born down the very bottom of the South Island nice and are you in a relationship no and do you I'm have any children? <laughs> yes, brilliant answer. <laughs> do you have any children? No children. Okay, here's the fun part. What mythical creature would improve the world if it existed? Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew this was going to stress me out. <laughs> it's fun. If you, don't know, if you don't know the answer, then it's fine also. Mythical creature. Maybe something, I'm not sure what the exact creature is, but something that you could just get to another place on really quickly. Would that be a dragon or something? Oh, you can make you can make your own mythical creature up. A dragon sounds cool, though. Uh, uh, yeah, a time-traveling dragon. Yes, love. let's go with that. Amazing answer. Okay, question number six. What object do you wish you could eliminate from existence? So a lifeless object, so something that's not... I know everything is alive, that's my belief, but like an object, what do you just not want to see again? (laughs) Um, Well, weapons, I guess, like Ah. that cause harm. Love. Ah, good answer. 
And number seven, what is the weirdest thing you have seen in someone's home? <laughs> I tried to answer this one myself yesterday and I was like, um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to pass on that one. I, <laughs> That's yeah. a horrible one. <laughs> okay, this is funny. What would the absolute worst name you could give your child? Oh. <laughs> I think like the name of an animal. I can't like not a <laughs> like a dog or something. Yeah, but you know, because <laughs> yeah, I get the whole fruit thing and plant thing. You know, I can get on board with that. But yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And number nine, <laughs> what would be the worst thing for the government to make illegal? uh free speech love mine was chocolate <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, free speech is probably a lot more powerful than just not being allowed to have chocolate let's be honest <laughs> okay number 10 if please your listeners your listeners are gonna like know by how difficult this is for me that this like for my personality type this is really challenging because I'm trying to like think of these really deep answers to these questions that get to just be fun and simple but I'm kind of <laughs> yeah you can tell that it's not there <laughs> it was, it's brilliant because it's challenging you for I was going to say first thing on a Wednesday morning but it's it's Wednesday evening for you right now right it is yeah so yeah. that just that that didn't make sense but for the last thing on a Wednesday evening to be challenged there's nothing wrong with that this is a fun one. Almost done, I promise. Two more left. If peanut butter wasn't called peanut butter, what would it be called? <laughs> <laughs> Spreadable deliciousness. Love. Okay, last one. This is an easy one. What's the best compliment you've ever received? Hmm. Um. I um stumped on that one. Um, probably something around just I love your energy, or I you know I love the way I feel when I'm around you. Yeah, that's yeah. Probably. Love that. Thank you, Sarah. I know they, they were fun, but not they were challenging for you. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I would like you to share your story. And then the way I work in podcasts is I just chip in along the way and ask you questions that come to my intuition. Is that is that good for you? Yeah, that's cool. Just jump in wherever you feel you want to. Okay, so tell us why you do what you do and where it all started. Hmm. Okay, so I got into coaching specifically around body image and intuitive eating and helping women with their relationship with food a couple of years ago. And it really started from my own journey. I suppose I'll go back to when I was training competitively for triathlon. So for those of you who are just getting to know me, I represented New Zealand at three age group world championship events. And there was a day when 
I walked into a sports doctor's office and I walked out with the news that no athlete ever wants to hear, um, which was that I had a stress fracture in my hip. Um, so I was told that I probably wouldn't be able to compete at the level that I was competing at again. And I certainly wouldn't be able to go to the event that I had been training for for the last year. Wow. Um, what led me to get to that place was the last um, four or five years of my life, um, one as a personal trainer, so working in the fitness industry and deciding that I really needed to go about changing my own body in order to be successful as a personal trainer. Um, so going on lots of restrictive different ways of eating, um, skin folds, weighing myself, constant hyper-focus on my physical body. And then after a year of that, like getting a whole lot of praise, a whole lot of validation about being successful and doing well in that area to then find triathlon as my new love, which I truly loved the sport when I was competing, but it did come from this quite toxic mentality that I'd got involved in with my body. Um, to training, yeah, up to 15, 20 hours a week at some times in an endurance sport across three different disciplines with um, strength training as well, um, and still coming from this place of needing to maintain a thin, lean body in order to be successful, not only as a person, like I'd kind of developed through the fitness world, but now in my sport and really valuing the way that I looked, my weight, my body, and my sporting performance, and placing my worth on all of those things. And I lost my period, as we sort of talked about at the start, for four of those years. And that's um, obviously a sign that it's not very healthy, your body's not very healthy, and you're not functioning optimally. But I ignored that for a really long time, which is what led to the stress fracture in the end. And um, the universe sort of saying, enough is enough. And it's time for you to really look at how you're treating your body, how you're treating yourself, what you're actually here to do. And, you know, it took stopping and walking away from sport and really taking the time to to unpack my relationship with my body and with food and, and with myself. Yeah, wow. bit of a journey. What a story. And how did you, because I've been in, in a similar situation, not with the sports, but with the fitness and the whole body checking and all the praise you get is crazy, mm. isn't it? Um, how did you go from labeling yourself as this, you know, fit chick and the, the athlete to being okay with not being that person anymore? Well, as I'm sure you you understand, it wasn't like an overnight process. Um, I certainly, when I first got that, you know, that stress fracture diagnosis, I went through a period of time of really questioning like who I was and what I was here to do. I actually hadn't been working in a gym for the last year because I'd been highly focused just on my sport. So I went back to working in a gym at the time when I was stepping away from competing myself, which is like, it was quite a, a interesting situation to be in because I was realizing that um, my body was unhealthy and I needed to gain weight. Meanwhile, I had these people coming to me wanting to lose weight. And so I stayed in this in between for a really long time of still trying to help other people lose weight, even though I knew from my past experience that that wasn't necessarily healthy um, until I really found coaching and started to work on myself. And it was the process of understanding where a lot of those beliefs had come from, why I value, had so much value on looking a certain way, you know, the fear of 
losing love, the fear of not being accepted, and kind of understanding the societal conditioning that we absorb around our bodies and different sized bodies and unpacking a lot of um, beliefs around fat and weight and size and and understanding the stigma that's there and I think that was such a huge piece for me was like seeing the social justice side of of all of this work and, and knowing that it's actually really harmful and noticing where I had been part of that and going through kind of the compassion for myself that I'd been involved in that system but I'd also kind of passed it on and um yeah potentially created harm to those that I was wanting to help and then really choosing to yeah to go down a different route with my coaching and with my business but that took that took some time and took some unlearning and relearning and a lot of um deep inner work as well Yes, it, that key word that you said there, un, the word unlearning, because I explain all the time that we were born loving ourselves, loving our bodies, being curious. We've learned all of the, let's call it baggage and the, the limiting beliefs and along the way through culture, society. And of course, you know that. But having to unlearn all that, I, I remember my belief system being so strong and so deep on the way I looked I when I first started this work I was like but I don't how is this ever going to change for me like I went into the work knowing okay enough is enough I don't know how but I I want to not care about whether I have nine percent body fat or not I just want to eat a chip and not think about it all day and then binge my face up in in the evening and when I first started I like I said my belief system was so strong with this and it is a case of taking one step at a time unlearning by surrounding yourself with positive um, body image health at every size I'm a big I'm a big advocate of and I know you are as well because health is a value of mine um, it doesn't have to be like when I you know when I teach and coach health doesn't have to be one of your values it's not a moral issue whether you want to put health first and foremost or not so because health isn't um, is a value of mine I take care of myself but completely away from dieting and my body shows yeah. up however it shows up and that's okay but like you said it takes time and effort yes yeah and surrounding yourself with those communities that are supporting this new message that you're learning, that you're absorbing because we've absorbed the opposite for so long. And yeah, that's what I, I found with Health at Every Size as well. And also working with someone to support me through that process and um, surrounding myself with community. Yeah. Yeah. And let's talk about your loss of period then. So again, so relevant to you because the same thing happened to me and I didn't, I didn't really care. I kind of wore it very oddly as a badge of honor because I was so lean that my body wasn't functioning properly, which is ridiculous. Yeah. When when you first started noticing your period disappeared, what what I know you mentioned in your story you didn't really care. Like what feelings came up around that? Yeah, so initially I was actually on the pill. My my relationship with my period goes, you know, as it, all of us do, goes back a long way. And I actually reflected on when I got my first period a while ago and that was you know when I was 14 and I was swimming competitively so I had this like intricate link between being an athlete and having a period and I got my first ever period on the morning of a swim meet a competitive um, swim meet that I wanted to qualify for a national event from 
and so and I didn't and I was in a lot of pain and I was in a lot of um I had a lot of shame and I had to speak to my male coach and I was like yeah it was a big thing that I experienced and then I actually didn't get another period for a whole year after that so that was through like 14 15 swimming really intensely and then again at that time it was just not something that was talked about and it was not something that I felt comfortable talking about um yeah like I said had a lot of shame around that and I also probably didn't recognize it as a problem so I went to a doctor and I went on the pill because I thought well you know I want to get a regular period I don't want to just wake up one day and don't know that it's coming that's inconvenient as a 15 year old and I lived in a boarding hostel and I swim swim trained so I wanted to know that I could control this part of my body um and I didn't realize that being on the pill was not even your body producing a period that it was an artificial bleed and I was never informed you know the the center that I went to was probably not a doctor it was probably a, a free family planning center where you could just go and, and ask for the subscription kind of thing and then so that was me on the pill for the next I don't know eight years or so and when I was training competitively then in triathlon again even though I was taking the pill which as we know now isn't actually our body producing a period I stopped getting a bleed at all while taking the pill and yeah very similar to you I felt I guess like I'd achieved something like I was that lean and that fit that this was just what happened and it was almost like yeah I'm an athlete now because my body's this lean and this is just what happens so I didn't need to you know I thought I didn't need to do anything about it again it was like yeah the period's inconvenient and this is a sign that I'm super fit and that was it and I think there is a lot more out there now about the harmful effects of that for for anyone but especially for athletes on their body and on their bone health um, but at that time I just kind of went with it and I did have a coach sit me down a male coach at, at one point in time and say have you addressed this and I sort of said like oh not really or I'm doing a bit of this and a bit of that but I didn't yeah really it was just like not caring and and avoidance I guess you would say like I I didn't want to address the fact that if I really looked at that and tried to heal at that point, it would, you know, addressing the fact that that would mean I would have to stop training and that would mean I would have to gain weight. And at that point in my life, I wasn't ready to acknowledge that and go through that process and that journey. And I don't know if I would have been, if I'm completely honest, I don't know if I ever would have come to this had my body not created this situation where I was forced to stop and forced to stop for long enough where I actually said, okay, I am going to stay away from the sport, which had become an addiction mm -hmm. until I actually get my cycle back. And that took 18 months as well to say. So thankfully it did because I needed that long as well to get myself in a mindset where I wasn't just going to rush back into it, you know, and I was going to actually stop and yeah, do the other healing modalities that I've now come come into contact with because of all of that what do you think changed so at the moment where you decided okay is it I'm gonna rest and I'm gonna get my menstrual cycle back and I'm gonna and I'm gonna look after myself what made you do that allow that to happen for you 
Yeah, that's it's such an interesting thing for me to reflect on because I don't remember this. It didn't feel like a choice of mine. Mm-hmm. It felt like the sports doctor said, you need to stop training. My coach said, you can't come back to this group until you have this under control. And I just sort of went with it. And it was like one small step of reintroducing certain foods um finding and I don't know if you've shared any of this with your listeners or know about this book but a training partner of mine shared the book with me No Period Now What by Nicola Rinaldi and she um yeah she wrote a book yeah for women who are recovering their periods and I have to admit I didn't read the whole thing because again I wasn't really ready to do that Mm -hmm. but I realized that there's a whole community of women out there who suffer from the same thing And that, you know, I wasn't alone and I had all of these feelings around it. And and I think I just, over time, just surrendered a little bit more and a little bit more. I didn't do this complete um, what's in the book and what's kind of shared as all in approach. I guess I, I slowly let go of things. You know, I let go of being part of that triathlon squad. I let go of running, but I kept, going to the pool occasionally or I would go for a walk or I would do yoga and then I slowly let go of some of those things and then I slowly introduced more food and and then I found coaching thank god and I started studying and again that came still from this place of a little bit of weight centric mindset of wanting to support my personal training clients but through that I found community and I found the coach that I ended up working with and through her I learned about intuitive eating and then I started to do the mindset work. So it was a very gradual process where I feel like when I reflect on it now from more of a spiritual perspective as um, that's developed, I can say I was being guided. I was being divinely guided along that path one step at a time. I don't feel like I ever made a clear cut decision, um, but I, I sort of kept surrendering to the next thing and the next thing. And I think I'm still doing that today in some sense. Yeah. That's so beautiful to hear. And you said another key point there. You mentioned when you was ready or like the universe divinely guiding you. I fully believe that as well. Um, I had a few injuries during my obsessive fitness days of my ankle. I tore the ligaments so many times. And the amount of times the doctor said, you know, you need to rest for at least eight weeks. I've gone to the gym and just done one-legged burpees and thinking that it was me being, quote, hardcore, but it was actually me not taking care of myself at all and it came to a point where again I hired a coach I had a breakdown and I was like I can't do this anymore I have no idea how not to do this anymore but I know that I can't do this anymore and then like you say we of course we believe with all our heart in coaching which is why we're coaches and I hired a coach and then my journey was slightly different to yours I just went all in I just put my feet both feet in And then the weight gain came and I was like freaking out and it was the worst thing ever, but I'm so glad I stuck with it. And I did the inner work whilst the weight was coming on. And then it's just Mm -hmm. getting used to your body, like loads of mirror work, the affirmations. But I teach differently with affirmations because if someone looks in the mirror and says, I am beautiful and they have so much resistance to that, that that doesn't work. So then obviously we go from a place of neutrality and then it's, it happens gradually. Um, so with you being a coach, Sarah, 
do you coach in the same way that you was coached or do you have everything that you've learned along the way into one kind of teaching um, sense? yeah I coach in a very similar way that I was coached because I studied at the same um, I studied through the health coach institute which is an American school mm -hmm. and I actually studied through the same school as my coach um, so and then I went on to do a mentorship program with her so that I could help my clients go through the same sort of steps and system as what I went through uh, so there is that component to it which is very similar um, the transformational coaching method is what I use in terms of belief reprogramming and subconscious coaching work and I also pull in pieces from all the other things that I love and that I read and that resonate and have resonated with me or my clients to see what fits for someone individually. So yeah, there's a lot of different pieces and try and be as intuitive as possible within that framework. So I know there's certain steps you can go through, but then it's like meeting each person exactly where they're at and getting a feel for what they need in this moment and in the session. And sometimes that's just to express themselves and, and let their emotions be expressed and be valid, validated and then worked through and then, you know, that's the session and sometimes it's a, a deep inner child belief reprogramming exercise and you know it's always yeah. that's the most beautiful thing about coaching when you go into a call obviously we do our client homework beforehand you never know how the session's going to be because the client gives you what you need in order to give that session which I absolutely love so when I first started coaching my all or nothing mentality desperate to get it right was wanting like a, a script or something or like what am I going to say but of course the more coaching you do it just comes so natural and it's our gift right so we get given it comes through me to to ask the mm. right questions and to challenge at the right time so let's talk about weight gain then because that used to be my biggest fear ever over anything how did you gain a lot of weight in one time was it gradual for you how did you deal with that yeah so this was a little while ago now I guess it, it felt like it was a lot all at once um at the time and it probably was um I didn't yeah I didn't weigh myself I kind of you know it's one of the first things I get my clients to do is like get rid of all of that oh, weighing yeah. and measuring but um yeah, I definitely went, I, I remember a period of time when I had probably four or five different dress sizes in my in my wardrobe because I still had all of my training, racing day clothes, and then I would, you know, they wouldn't fit, so I'd get some new jeans or whatever, and then they wouldn't fit, and it was, yeah, that was probably one of the, the hardest parts of this journey, and, and now why I'm so passionate about doing what I'm doing and working with women as they're going through this process is I did all of that by myself and I went through the initial weight gain um, reintroducing food reducing training all of that by myself really and all of the feelings that were there about it I didn't really know what to do with them and I probably didn't realize how much I was hurting because I didn't think I could express that to anyone and they would understand and mm -hmm. uh, so yes weight gain was extremely challenging and it was you know initially something I did on my own until probably you know a year down the track or whenever it was that I started working with my own coach then it was like going back and because it was still all there it was like yeah my body had changed and I you know 
got on with my life, but I still had all of that there. I still had tendencies to restrict. I still judged my body. I still felt shame. You know, I still didn't want to go out and do certain things if I was going to see people that I used to train with. I, yeah, I still had a wardrobe full of clothes that I thought maybe I would fit back into one day and all of those sorts of things. Um, so that was that was when we started really unpacking where that fear came from and what the fear really was. You know, what was the fear actually about? Because weight gain in itself, right, isn't isn't really what the fear is. The fear is what we are what we perceive that we will lose when we gain weight and where that's come from. Yes. I remember going through have you been through Janine Roth? her work with around emotional eating Janine Roth no I haven't no she's got um lots of books and I've been through her workbook it's called why way and it's like a workbook so it's really handy for your clients as well that's why I recommend for my clients and it is getting to those root core of why are we so scared of being fat because fat in a vacuum doesn't mean anything it's just Mm. like fat doesn't necessarily mean Um, fear judgment it's what we make it mean in media and society and of course we've been taught that it's not our fault we weren't born Mm. thinking oh my gosh fat means all these things yeah we've taught that and actually in 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 one culture I should um I'll link up the article where I read this in in the notes but it's an African country and they actually send women I disagree with this as well of course when they're 13 they get sent to what they call fat camp and they get fed because the men over there like stretch marks so it's the opposite to our western culture which is crazy but it just shows that they see fat as something to be um, celebrated something to be lusted after and of course we see it as the complete opposite so hearing things like that helps my perspective when I first started this work to be like oh my gosh so it really is what I think fat means and it's difficult isn't it because we live in a fat phobic world you know that's not going to change overnight yeah and that that's not uh um when you when you hear it like that it's like that isn't a steadfast peg in the ground thing Mm -hmm. it's that over time as well our perceptions of bodies and what bodies have been considered beautiful or acceptable, you know, have changed dramatically and will continue to change. So again, that just shows that this is a social construct. And back, you know, centuries ago, having fat on your body was a sign of wealth and of abundance and of being successful. And so it was really celebrated. And if you were thin, you were like malnourished and, you know, deprived and you didn't, you, you like you weren't at the top of the ladder of society. And yeah. so it was like that, yeah. And I know this, the history of um, women's body image is huge and so important to I suppose note for the listeners as well myself I don't know about you but you know for myself I've always lived in a thin body a body that's been societally acceptable and I say thin based on you know the societal conditions that we live in so I've had that privilege and I've you know I've never been shamed by anyone myself explicitly for my weight or my size you know privilege of being able to walk into a clothing store and be able to buy my size and privilege of being able to walk into a restaurant and and sit at the tables comfortably and things like that and when we talk about living in a fat phobic society 
we're also living in a society that you know has a lot of oppression for people in larger bodies and that was really important for me to learn and educate myself on yeah me too and it i'm glad you brought up the throughout the years the body shape that has been worshipped has completely changed so we especially in beauty as well society idolize the hardest thing to achieve in in our environment isn't it so like you said mm. back in the day when food was harder to come by and wealth was hard to come by fatter bodies were idolized worship because like you said it wasn't the norm to be fatter and then now as we've gone we've gone on the skinnier the better well now it's changed a little bit because you've got to have a big bum but you've got to be toned and you've got to have a slim waist <laughs> and it's just so oh, it, just, it makes me laugh now it yeah it does make me laugh um, so it literally changes like beauty and fashion changes. And I refuse, I get a little bit angry and I effing refuse to follow society's quote fashion. For, I mean, for my body though, I mean, clothes is one thing. If you want to follow fashion, it's it, you just buy some more clothes. It's not going to affect you physically or mentally as such, depending on which way you look at it. But to try and change my body just to try and quote fit in, like mm. and what and also something you said I want to pick up on when you said um we change our perception over time when probably the same for you Sarah when I got really super lean that was my new norm so even if I was quote still really lean it wasn't good enough for me because then I would compare mm. it to the leanest I've ever been and that ruined me completely yeah, well, it's when those markers keep changing, hey, and that's like society keeps changing those markers on us, mm. but then we keep changing those markers on ourselves. So we're constantly seeking something else, and there's no mistake in that because if every single woman woke up every morning, knew they were beautiful, knew they were worthy, knew they were perfect exactly as they were in the skin that they're in and they had everything that they need, then billion-dollar industries would go down overnight. So, of course, they, they are profiting hugely off us feeling unworthy, not enough, like we constantly need to change ourselves. And if by some miraculous feat we do end up meeting the standard, they need us to keep feeling like that's not good enough. Oh, 100%. And I got cold shivers when you just gave me that vision of which every woman is good enough exactly as they are. And we both know that, but that vision of women waking up, just feeling that in their heart every yeah. day, just like, oh, this is why we do this work because we are enough. And when we feel that in our heart, not just as an affirmation, you know, it takes time. How, how freeing and liberating is that? It's, it's indescribable, isn't it? it's life-changing and like I can see your eyes light up and I feel yeah. it in my body as well and it's this like resonance on a deep soul level mm. that this is what we're here to do and that if every single woman knew this about themselves then the world would literally change like not only would that and does that person's individual life experience change but the world changes because we free up our brain space, we free up our energy, we have this overflowing cup of love. So we're not, you know, running on empty ourselves, we're fully loving ourselves. And then we have that to put into all of our relationships, to our businesses, to creating change in the world and the passions that we want to follow, whether that's having a family or starting a business or becoming a, um, you know, an ally for others. 
it really doesn't matter what scale you look at that on it ripples out into every aspect of that person's life community social circle and that really is how we change the world i believe that yeah can you imagine if everyone woke up tomorrow and every single person including men loved themselves like the world would literally be that peace on earth no one would want to harm anyone they you know everything would all the quote problems would just end because if we love ourselves and i used to think that was selfish as being a woman and you know we're taught to give we're natural givers anyway and as you know we're taught to give 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 to others oh well you take time for yourself well that's selfish that's what i was also taught so but actually taking time for yourself to fill that cup up it's spilling out to everybody else and then the, the butterfly effects of that self-love is everything to me and everything to you too. Yeah. So I'm so glad that you're in this world doing, doing what you're doing, Sarah. And I, I'm very spiritual too. And I completely believe that we're divinely guided to where we are now. If you mm. could go back to your younger self, what would you say to her? Oh, I got asked this question the other day as well, and it probably changes each time I say it, but you know, there's many, there's many conversations to have with that younger version of ourselves. And I do encourage those of you listening to ask yourself this question as well. And if you're ever feeling, um, you know, if you are feeling less than, or you're feeling unworthy or um, not loved or any of those sort of, you know, things that can come up is take this time to ask that question like what does my younger self need from me right now and how can I offer that to her um, is a really powerful practice so what would I offer to my my younger self just that you are okay exactly as you are you don't have to prove yourself you get to be you and that is your most powerful gift is being you expressing yourself as you are and you're loved. You're so, so loved for just being you. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And would you change anything about your past? I mean, hindsight's a great thing, eh? But I wouldn't because if all of those little bits of the puzzle didn't happen the way they happened, I wouldn't be sitting here today. We wouldn't be having this conversation. I wouldn't be doing the work that I'm doing in the world. I wouldn't have learned what I've learned about myself and, and the path that I continue to go on in my own growth and spiritual growth and development, you know, and I just deeply trust that we're all always getting exactly what we need and exactly what we're ready for. And the journey of HA recovery specifically, I feel like is an opportunity for more and more women to wake up, um, to wake up to loving themselves, but also to, to wake up to who they are and, the gifts that they have to share and to go through those lessons that come with that process of healing so that they can be more of themselves you know in every area of their life so I'm deeply grateful for all of the experiences that I've had um, as painful as they've been at times. Wow that's beautiful and with regards to what you specialize in and the healing of the the, the menstrual cycle how how often would you say or how long would you say people who want to get their periods back do they have to stop training do they have to suddenly eat more food like what's the process in in dealing with that and being healthy again yeah so again i'll, I'll 
share the recommendations from No Period Now What, and maybe you can link to um, that mm -hmm. book in the show notes. I, I recommend Nicola's work. She's doing amazing things in the field. Um, you know, the recommendation is to eat 2,500 calories and reduce exercise. Basically, do minimal to no exercise um, for as long as it takes to get your period back. And I understand that that can be very uncomfortable for people, which is why I sort of guide my clients through a process depending on where they're at, where they're starting, what their mindset's like, and what their mental, you know, how that's going to affect their mental health. And so really it is about reducing at least high intensity exercise, giving yourself way more rest, um, permission to sleep in, permission to, you know, do nothing. And really listen to your body when it's calling for rest, because I know we can really push through those signals. But also, yeah, eat more. And so intuitive eating um, is just the way that I work with most people on this. So learning to listen to your hunger, rejecting the diet mentality and really letting go of food rules. Um, so reintroducing quote unquote fear foods or foods that you might have been restricting or avoiding and going through all of that process and just allowing your body to land where it lands and doing some body image healing when that happens. Yeah. And one question I want to ask before we start to wrap up is, are you aware of the like masculine energy, the feminine energy? I don't, I only know surface level on this. Um, I found that I was, um, what the word I'm looking for, the words not coming to me, but I was doing my life with so much masculine energy it's the do, 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 like you said, ignore the, oh, rest, no, I'll, I'll rest when I'm dead and all these, you know, all these, let's yeah. just get it done. Is Do you find the clients you work with are operating on mainly masculine energy? Yeah, I love that you brought this up. Um, hugely in my life, yeah, my clients as well, because you just have to look at the, the type of people that end up with, restrictions and food and over exercise and um, restrictive eating disorders right is like perfection control um, punishment yeah doing force and then you look at that's masculine right and then you look at feminine which is flow ease rest being overdoing um, surrender connection to self and you kind of like I sometimes get my clients to feel the energy of words in their body so it's like how does control um discipline um striving all of those sorts of words how do they feel in your body and then how does flow surrender um trust connection how do those feel in your body and it's like a science so on video, yeah, you can answer that. If you want. Yeah, I know people won't be able to see this on the podcast, but when you were saying the feminine words, I was like closing my eyes and just like it resonates so much. And I'm I'm glad you've also said that because that's really powerful. Feeling it in your body, what feels right? The masculine stuff was like, oh no, like of course we need to operate yes. on some masculine energy to get stuff done, right? But there's that beautiful balance and to be fully in your feminine energy is just so beautiful I can't think of a, a better word just being just loving just accepting just being open and soft and yeah 
feels so good it's like a long exhale like all of those words are just like a long exhale and kind of a sigh of relief mm. and the body and the soul is like I've been waiting for you for so long mm. and it's almost like wrapping yourself up in this beautiful hug and um yeah I do energy work as well so I do a lot of um work with quantum healing and energetics and sure we do need a balance but I think for most people who come to this work and have been so heavily in the masculine mm -hmm. it's it's like what happens with food there needs to be quite a big swing towards the feminine in order to then come back to find that healthy balance because yeah we need a we need a really reintroduce ourselves to that feminine and see what that feels like to really be in that and there's no coincidence to me that the feminine's so connected with flow mm. like being in flow being in flow with our lives being in flow in our body having our flow um and flowing with life rather than controlling and forcing and resisting and trying to push our way through um which yeah just <laughs> never gets anywhere um it's kind of like resisting our truth our true nature yeah i'm reading a book at the moment um by david didier have you heard of him as a spirit it's a sexual spiritual coach and it's a very sexual okay. book it's talking about um the difference between women and men in sexual energy and how to get the best from your man as a woman and as a man's version too and i've read the woman's version and my other half's read the man's version and he's learned so much from that book and i've learned so much about him because as women our emotions just flow and come from nowhere and one minute we can feel angry the next minute i mean you know men joke about that but that's who we are and I've learned to suppress that my whole life like if I feel angry then oh no well I can't express that or I don't want to nag or I'm just constantly squashing myself down the whole freaking time and yeah. men don't understand feminine energy so they just have to just let us do our our flow keep our hearts open and it also helps me to understand that men they don't see the world like we do. They're driven and they have to have a thing that they're working towards else they don't feel in their masculine energy. So this energy conversation is just, it. I love it. It blows my mind. I really want to learn, learn more about this. And I yeah, I love it too. A few more questions, Sarah. Okay. Um, so what would you say the most important thing is that you've learned in your life, if you could choose one thing? Oh, mm. <laughs> um, I guess the word that's coming to me, so I'll just say it, but it's the power of surrender. Mm. Like when we like, yeah, we've talked about flow, but it's the ability to surrender to what is. Mm. Yeah, I think that's. I don't know and I, I probably get keep getting that lesson because I keep le needing to learn it more so I don't think it's done yet but <laughs> that's landed with me 100% because every time it when obviously as coaches we peel back the layers we peel back the layers we peel back the layers um with our clients and the the root cause of the quote solution is just full radical surrender of whatever is going to be is going to be but sitting with that and it's a state of being it's not something you just do is it it's a state of mm. being of being in surrender and having high standards but low expectations so you know aiming for the best for yourself in 
in the way you want to look after yourself, the way you want to achieve in business, but then just having that flow and that surrender of whatever's going to be will be, I can do my best, do the things, take the action, have faith, and then whatever's going to be is going to be. And that's all perfect, whole and complete exactly as however it ends up. Yeah, and it may work out nothing like what you thought it would be, and that's perfect too. And yeah, yeah I loved what you said, that surrender is a way of being, not something you do. And that would be like trying to approach surrender from a masculine energy it would be like a client saying to you, tell me how to, how do I do surrendering? <laughs> like, give me the five-step process <laughs> so that I can surrender. <laughs> oh my god that's so funny and so true and I absolutely love that but I want it done yesterday so just tell me quick so I can do it and then it's done and I don't have to think about yeah, it yeah and if I yeah I'll do it today and then I'll never have to do it again because I've already done it I've done that surrender thing oh that's but, brilliant oh, and what you said about the universe gives you the same lesson over and over again until you quote pass the lesson of life and I fully believe that and that our lessons are never over. And I also believe that the universe doesn't give you a lesson that you can't complete. Yeah. So if anyone- you get, it when, is, yeah, you get it when you're ready for it. Yeah. yeah. So if anyone listening is going through something right now and they're thinking like, what the actual beep? How is this happening? I can't deal with this. I can't do it. You absolutely can do it, which is why it's happening to you right now. So just take one step at a time, have faith in yourself don't predict, um, future predict, don't, you know, just one step at a time, one moment at a time, and then just have that full surrender of what will be, will be. I know it's easier said than done, but keep practicing. And would you- And I think, oh, do you mind if I choose something on that? Oh no, no, please, please, please do. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think one of the biggest reframes that I've learned, which is easier to say once you've experienced this a few times, but going through the ups and downs of life and challenges and things not going how you might have wanted them to go, um, that's going to keep happening. And it's being able to see it as a, this is all happening for me rather than this is happening to me. And this was certainly not something that I understood let alone embodied when I was going through my process of HA recovery but looking back now I can clearly see that that was happening for me so now it's about taking that knowing into the new challenging situations that might come into my life with the knowing that even though I don't know what the other side of this looks like yet I can be in this energy of this is happening for me rather than this is happening to me. Why is it happening to me? What do I need to do? What's wrong with me? You know, all those sorts of things. Yeah, love that. It's like I, I envisioned, um, me and my client like to call it a shit storm. So you sat in this shit storm and you, you're Zen AF and everything's going around and you're just like, well, we're going to get out of it. Don't know how yet. Don't know why this is even <laughs> happening, but I'm not going to go in victim mode. This is happening for me, not to me. Don't know why yet. It's just having that faith and surrender, isn't it? To exactly as you've said it, everything happens for us, not to us. And when we think it's happening to us, we're in full on victim mode. Mm. And being, yeah, being compassionate to yourself if that does show up, because, you know, sometimes we fall in there and then it's like recognizing, oh, I'm going into that. Uh, That's not where I want to be. Compassion. for myself compassion for the experience I'm having and as quickly as I can shift out of that yeah love that amazing Sarah so can you share with us 
Um, first of all, your favourite quote of all time. Oh, throwing all the hard ones at me. Mm. Um, comparison is the thief of joy. Hell yeah. So is. And where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram. It's probably the easiest at sarahmenlove.health. Uh, same on Facebook, that would go to my business page and I have a link on my business page through to my private Facebook group. If you want to join me in there, it's called Find Your Freedom. It's for women who are doing this work to heal their relationship with food and their body and live their biggest, boldest lives. Um, and yeah, just as always, check me out on Instagram. Feel free to comment, send me a message, check out my link tree. I put all my things that I'm doing and sharing in there and lots of free things as well. So. Awesome. Thank you, Sarah. And if you could pick one piece of advice that for the listeners to take away from this conversation, what would it be? Mm. Trust yourself, trust your body. I don't know if that's really from this conversation, but I think it is like, trust yourself, trust your body, trust something greater than you, you know, don't need to know what that is. You might have a connection, you might not, but trust that you are you're always being supported and you're always being provided for and it really can't go wrong you know when you have that when you have that perspective that you can really trust yourself and your body and a higher power you're going to be okay so yeah amazing thank you so much Sarah I really appreciate your kind your all your wisdom and the chat that we've had today so guys go and check her out I'll link everything in the notes and me and you will connect soon Thank you so much for having me and thank you to everyone that's listened. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Lots of love. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so grateful that you're here. Please share this podcast with a friend. I want to get this message of self-love, body confidence and food freedom around the world. So please just take a moment to rate this podcast. It would mean the world to me and share it with a friend. Thank you. Lots of love.